0: I'm Sarah Resnick, and I'm LaShawn Moore, and we are the hosts of The Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Welcome to the 63rd episode of The Weave Podcast. I just wanted to start out with a quick shout out to those of you who are generously supporting the podcast through one time and monthly donations. They really make a difference and help support this project and keep it going. If this podcast is valuable in your life and you'd like to support it, I would really appreciate it you can go to www.gistyarn/podcast and click on the donate button that's g i slash a r n.com/podcast thank you this week on the podcast i'm talking to deb brandon deb is a textile artist writer math professor and brain injury survivor she is also a board member of warp weave a real piece and most recently is the author of threads around the world a collection of essays and photographs sharing textile traditions from communities around the world. Welcome to the podcast, Deb. I'm so glad to have you
1: on. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here.
0: Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing how you found your way towards weaving?
1: Um, I was born in England and grew up in Israel. Um, I have always been interested in textiles from when I as a maker from when I was uh, seven years old when my mother taught me how to knit and then I also then I, I started that and then as I grew up I learned all sorts of things like embroidery um oh god basket making all sorts of things and then when I As an adult, I learned to spin and weave and whatnot. And it's interesting because I really enjoyed all the... learning all this stuff, but weaving was different. Weaving... I sat down to weave, and I felt like I was home. It was as if I was a weaver in a a previous life. Hmm. And uh, it was... It really opened up my world to a broader range of, well, more techniques, um, uh, people, other textile artists. It completely changed my social life. And uh, as I said, this was me. This was who I am. I'm a weaver.
0: Who taught you how to weave and what kind of loom did you first learn on?
1: Well, learning how to weave was kind of an interesting story. Um, I set up lessons to uh, to go to a workshop, a weaving workshop, and I had broken my ankle a, f- a couple of months prior to that. Finally, I could I didn't need a uh, help walking, so I was really giddy and I ran <laughs> ran up the stairs in my house and my hand was on the banister and it ran into a into at the end it ran into a wall hmm. and uh, well that doesn't sound funny but what was funny <laughs> was that I couldn't make the workshop because my hand was broken hmm. so I was planning on going on a workshop uh, on weaving in Shippensburg Pennsylvania but I broke my hand before I, before the workshop, so I had to cancel. Um, so I started looking, at sh- and the woman in Shippensburg wasn't going to hold any workshops that I could take. So I uh, searched around, and I found um, Nancy Griffin. She had a store in um, in uh, Mercer, PA. mm mm-hmm and she basically it was a one-on-one thing and i could start whenever i wanted and uh then i was good for three months i paid her a one-time thing and i could go in and out of her store uh for i believe yes it was three months and use her loom uh, which was a floor loom and i'm not sure what make it was but it was definitely a floor loom um and we ended up becoming really good friends. Uh, she was a fabulous teacher. Uh, unfortunately, she's closed her store and she focuses more on spinning. I mean, I, I love spinning, <laughs> but uh, it's not like weaving.
0: And how soon after that did you get your own loom?
1: Very soon. Mm. Um, I, I Well, in fact, it was before that that I got the loom and I was ready to go when I was done at her place. And uh, I, it was, no, it wasn't a floor loom, it was a workshop loom, and it was, it wasn't a cranberry, but it was some sort of a, it was cherry, it was just gorgeous. Mm. Well, it still is, it's in my living room now, with weaving on it.
0: Hmm. And you are a professor in mathematical sciences at Carnegie Mellon University, and I'm curious what kind of math you specialize in and how your work as a mathematician influences your work as a textile artist.
1: Well, I used to do research in partial integral differential equations, which is a bit of a mouthful. And what does even that when mean? I tell...
0: <laughs> sorry? What does that mean? Can you explain that?
1: It, it's uh, used to model equations where... it's Well... Okay, it's used to model situations where what happens now um, is affected by what happened in the past, or what happens here is affected by what's going on nearby. Um, It's not the standard situation that most applied mathematicians deal with, but, uh, you know, that's what I did. But I haven't been focusing much on research... Uh, since um, I had a brain injury in 2007 and uh, I've been focusing on teaching hmm. which is now, it's now become a passion but um, and, and I love the interaction with the students, in fact I've moved away from research and I am on, doing um, basically teaching plus other stuff um, as a mathematician, it's interesting because when I first started weaving, I wanted to get away from the math side. So I tried to put um, the play more with colors and things like that. But I found that the math came in no matter what. I was curious by the patterns, I was curious about uh, trying different designs, changing the designs as I wove. That was the, the, that was the non-mathematician side, but the patterns got more complex. So it, so the, the math came in, I just couldn't, it, it was part of me. I, I just couldn't mm. get away from it. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you find that it's still influencing your your weaving a lot? And do you like the math coming into your weaving or do you sometimes try to keep it out?
1: I definitely try and keep it out and I mean the last time I had it in was shortly after my um, brain surgeries but now it's come out again and I think that's partly because my style of thinking has changed since the brain injury.
0: I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit more about that and how being a brain injury survivor is also impacting your work as a weaver and also as a writer.
1: Um, I was—I have clusters of malformed blood vessels in my brain, two of them bled, which made life quite exciting. Um, I was having seizures, horrendous headaches, uh, wonderful things that kept me from driving, from working, um, from creating. And uh, so the only treatment for, to prevent free, future bleeds is to um, go through surgery to remove them. So I went through three brain surgeries, and recovery from that was uh, really hellish for the first two years. Uh, I did create... Was, well, I'd been thinking of making of, of a weaving project while I was between the brain bleeds and the surgery. I'd been, you know, thinking about it and what I wanted to do. And within a couple of weeks of coming back from surgeries, I started working on that project.
0: Wow, that's really soon.
1: Well, I... I don't, looking back now, I think, wow, what was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) What was the
0: project? What were you working on?
1: I was working on yardage to um, submit to the Convergence 2008. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I went from the experiments that I did before the. Brain bleeds, and decided I wanted to do this um, thing for. I wanted to call it Reflections of Sunset on the Water. I don't know why it came to me. And so I wanted the effect of the light on the waves, the colors, uh, and the movement, the motion that, uh, that comes with water and the waves. And I came up with the idea of... I, I painted the warp with colors of sunset on the waters. Oranges, uh, blues, white for white caps, things like that. But I, I So that gave me the color. But I also wanted to do... You know, get the flow. So I painted the... Weft, so I'd get blues and whites in going up and down the uh, the uh, yardage. And the interaction of the two was pretty amazing. Um, okay, so I also wanted the, the light for the reflection, so I got um, silk hmm. uh, to do that. And then I also wanted it to drape well, so I decided to do it in twills. And then I also wanted some texture to it that had waves, so I, I, did an, I did an overlay of of twills that didn't match up with the twill of the fabric. Now, all this together, I couldn't have done that before the surgeries. I think it might have something to do with the different styles of thinking that I now could access a creative side of me that didn't exist before i mean yes i was creative but to a much lesser degree so that was the first project after the surgeries um but the what i did i didn't like it i started weaving i went through the struggles of warping where i where i Forgot how to do things, and I, but I kept at it through you know, tears of grief and frustrations. You know, I dry my tears and go back to it, and I ended up having a warp that was filled with fixed mistakes. And when I came to weaving it, I found that I didn't like the coloring in on the lengthwise the warp, so I decided. Oh, it was it, the, there were stripes that were too narrow. So I looked at it, and I'm going, I should start from the beginning. <laughs> so I, it took me a, a day or two to figure that out, and then I took the scissors, gulped, and cut through the warp, and I started all over again. And I now knew how to do the warp, the warping. I now was you know, more adept at, at setting things up. And I ended up with this uh, piece that I was really happy with, and it ended up getting into uh, Convergence. Hmm.
0: Hmm. And have you felt that the shift in creativity has has continued on, like, well after those surgeries?
1: Oh, definitely. No question about that. Um, Well, certainly the... I notice in nature, I notice more details about colouring, I notice uh, the variegation in the blues in the sky, uh, sunset, sunrise, or I also notice many more details like, um, you know, uh, a bug on a on a, a petal of a flower, things like that. So so and I, so the whole thing, the idea of. Letting nature influence what I do—that was something that I didn't do before. So that, so that happened as well. I'm much less interested in the patterns, except for, um, again, to see interact, you know, particular interactions. So my whole approach has changed, and the ideas just flow. Hmm.
0: Thanks for sharing that. Um, you've served on multiple terms as board member of WARP which stands for Weave a Real Peace and I'm wondering if you can talk about what WARP is and how and why you became involved and also maybe how that led you to write your most recent book
1: as you said WARP stands for Weave a Real Peace Um, it's an organization a network it's a networking organization where um, one of the purposes is to improve the quality of life amongst textile artisans in communities in need. Um, so our members are um, mostly ethnic textile aficionados, uh, anthropologists, makers, As in, we have a lot of weavers there, a lot of dyers, but there's this affinity for Ethnic textiles. What we do is we support each other in our endeavours to make a difference in the world through textile arts. Um, now the thing is, in terms of textile traditions, other than the fact that I just I'm just nuts about uh, traditional textiles. Um, I I find, and this is something I learned through writing my most recent book, I felt that, and I learned this through WARP, that um, ethnic textiles are really important. Uh, They're an integral part of humanity. And so, and and in addition, as members of WARP, it gave us, knowing about it, learning about it, gave us better access, better understanding of local, locally made textiles all, of, uh, all over the world. I mean, a lot of our members travel a lot, they travel a lot, and they end up with, uh, a lot of them, with traditional textiles when they come home. So some of our members actually work out in the field others, um, their main contribution is through buying textiles that Warp members uh, support um, other textile artisans with. There are a few like me that do bits and pieces. I'm jack of all trades in my textile arts and in everything I do, in my writing as well, and I seem to be the same way with Warp. i you know, as I, as uh, you mentioned, I was on the board, which is a working board, and um, I I write these articles for the newsletter. Um, so it's a you know it's a big me mi- it's a mix of what people do for the organisation or you know to fulfil our purpose. But networking is a huge part of it and we have annual meetings where the networking is um it, it's just a huge part of the of the meeting and we um we all come away galvanized to take further action so it's a group of You know, like-minded people. It's an amazing group, mostly of these really, really strong women, you know, doers. Um, And it's a lot of fun. And I've learned an enormous amount from the organization.
0: And you recently published a book called Threads Around the World, where each chapter has a different region of the world and textiles that they're famous for. And I'm curious if you can talk more about that book and your journey of writing it. Did you travel to all of those places?
1: No, I wish I could say yes, but I have traveled to some of them. Uh, I want to travel to all of them, but I don't... I suspect I won't be able to. so I travel vicariously through friends and relatives Um, they very often bring me you know uh, textiles from various places they bring me um, uh, samples but also the stories and then in addition I did a lot of research online and in books so it's mostly from afar virtually, and yeah, virtually. Now, um, how I started writing was because, um, well, as I said, I had this love of textiles, which actually started when I was, um, well, a kid. My parents loved ethnic textiles, and our house was surrounded by them. Rugs, hand rugs from the nearby Druze village, um, cushion covers from the old city in Jerusalem. Um, so it was all over the place. And then when I joined Warp, that interest grew immensely because of the because of the um, other members who are interested in ethnic textiles, but also um, the our annual meetings. We have a marketplace. And there are always people who bring in textiles from uh, among the um, traditional artisans. And uh, then a couple of years after I joined, the newsletter editor asked me to write about textile techniques from around the world. So I've been writing uh, for I've been writing essays for that column for God that started in 2003. So more than 15 years, I don't know, 15 years or so. And um, then a few years later, uh, the board asked me if I would put together a collection of these uh, essays, and we'd add photos that members took when they were traveling. And uh, we'd have this booklet and sell it as a fundraiser to the members, sell it as a fundraiser for uh, Warp. But, so the newsletter editor and I worked on it, and she finally goes, this is bigger, this is not just something cobbled together, you know, grassroots project. And um, so the next step was to start editing even more and even more than I did before rewriting some of the articles and I think also partly because of the my uh, brain injury my interest shifted from looking at the technique which I used to do which is what uh, what I used to do before the brain injury and I used to the a lot of the techniques I um, applied to my own textile work
0: I'm, I'm curious to hear what a few of your favorite regions are that you are writing about in the book <laughs> and were those ones that you got to personally visit or tell me about that
1: um, that is a great question as I said my focus shifted from the techniques to the stories behind the traditions mm-hmm. and the textile traditions that I'm most drawn to are the ones that where the stories are particularly uh, interesting, uh, or I don't know something about them really spoke to me. So uh, the ones I really like—I mean, I like many of them—but the ones I really gravitate to when people ask me similar questions are two uh, types of. Uh, two types of textiles. The one is Bhutanese weaving, backstrap weaving, and the other is Moroccan, mm. the Berber weaving. Now, the reason, as I said, is because the stories behind them, uh, not so much the techniques. The technique for um, the Bhutanese weaving is very complex. Um, But it was the story behind it that really got to me. With the Moroccan weaving, again, technically, I wouldn't be interested in it. It's too, actually too technical for me. And not because I can't do it, but because I've lost interest in that complex technique stuff that I was doing before. But again, it was the story behind it. There, the story... That I loved was was the symbolism behind the actual weaving. Usually, the symbolism is maybe colours, um, the patterns, but it's not in the actual act of weaving. With the Moro- with the Moroccan weaving, there's it's uh, the weaving is a metaphor for a son's life. Hmm. And the Bhutanese one was a personal story of the woman who wove it. So those are the two from the book. I do when I just go Bhutan and Morocco, <laughs> no question. I mean, the, as I said, the other the other um, stories are, you know, I love most of them too for various reasons. But these particular stories really. Um, spoke to me
0: and where can people purchase the book if they're interested in reading it
1: uh, you can buy it on Amazon um, Barnes and & Noble and you could certainly order it from various indie publishers
0: great and we'll, we'll include a, the title of it in a link so that uh, in the show notes yeah. of this episode so people can see it I'm wondering what's on the horizon for you in this coming year on your loom or in your traveling or your writing or whatever it is that you'd like to share
1: um, I have, uh, well, what's coming out from selling the Threads book is that I want to do a sequel. Mm. So I've, I've started uh, the first step, which is amongst all the, all the essays that I've uh, done for the Warp newsletter, I've collected the ones that I want to use, and the other thing is that I've started doing is also collecting samples of the corresponding textiles. But the next step for me is to actually start reworking those essays, um, you know, editing and actually in many ways rewriting. It's going to be a lot simpler than the previous book because I now know the process of finding photos and that kind of thing, but also I know more about what I'm interested in. I'm I'm, uh, much more knowledgeable about this stuff, and I'm much clearer on what I want, on which directions I I want to go in. Mm.
0: Where can people go online and on social media to learn more about you and about your work?
1: I have a website, debbrandon.com. It's with two Bs. And I'm on Facebook, Deb Brandon um, Author. And I'm also on Instagram, um, Twitter. I'm also also on uh, LinkedIn, but that's actually more the math side of things.
0: All right, and I will add links to those in the show notes. This has been a really, it's been a really wide-ranging conversation about the ways in which your creativity changed after brain injury and about your travels and your work with Warp and your writing. And um, I'm curious if, from all of this and from your your years of experience working in this, if you have words of wisdom that you would want to share with weavers out there or advice.
1: I'd say just sit down and weave Mm. um the prep is relatively complex some people really dislike it i don't maybe it's a mathematician in me but it's you know it's an inconvenience on the way to actually weaving and weaving is incredibly meditative if you can get past the warping preparing the loom that's where it's it's amazing so, I'd say just sit down and weave, uh, uh, or bite the bullet and do the warping so that you can sit down and weave. Um, so, it's a matter of not, you know, people say I don't have time. It's a matter of taking the time. Um, one thing that I really enjoy is the interplay with color, and a lot of that I get from nature. So, I'd say. Also, look at the word world around you to get uh, to get um, ideas, uh, and really, really pay attention. And don't just think of one um, one aspect. Don't just think of the color. Think about the material, the the yarn. Think about the pattern. They work very much together. There's no getting away from that. So I think that's about it. I can't think of
0: anything else. That's great. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your stories today, Deb. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been fun. Take care. That's a wrap. To see photos of Deb's work and links to her book and Warp Weave a Real Piece. Please go to the show notes at www.gistyarn.com/episode-63. That's g-i-s-t-y-a-r-n.com/episode-63. Next week on the podcast, Lashawn is speaking with Sharon Donnan. Sharon, along with other small farmers and hand weavers in Louisiana, are working towards reviving Acadian brown cotton. In their conversation, they talk about Sharon's wonderful journey towards creating the documentary film Cotton John, Acadian Brown Cotton, a Cajun Love Story, which dives into the fascinating and little-known history of historic brown cotton. Tune in next week for that episode, and until next time, happy weaving.